Welcome to the Sent to Share podcast. We are a collective of simple churches bringing hope to our cities. Welcome to the Sent to Share podcast. Thank you for joining us this week as we continue our journey into the seven sales or seven spiritual disciplines that we believe are a foundation of being a disciple of Jesus. I'm Joe Camerlingi alongside Brent Hofen. And each week we discuss making disciples of Jesus and being disciple makers in our area. And we hope that it is a um, assistant to you in doing the same in your area. We love to hear your stories and hear what you have going on. So please, a reminder to help share. Let us know in the chat uh, some of your questions or some of the stories that you have. We'd love to share them here on the podcast. This week, Brent, we are talking about seeing groups start. A reminder, last week, if you missed it, we talked about uh, training believers. So if you missed that one, go check that out and uh, and you can uh, hear a little bit about what we shared on uh, about that. And that sets us up for this week. And it's about seeing groups start. And this one we were just discussing could uh, could go on for, for months and months, but we're going to try to start, just get a little foundation here and break out from there. And we've chosen a scripture from Go Figure Acts when talking about early church and discipleship uh, and Acts 10 specifically. So uh, take it away there, Brent. Awesome. Awesome. I'm pumped about this because I just came from a missions conference where I met a guy who has seen 20,000 groups start. And it was such a huge reminder to me that when we're obedient and when we have a plan and a vision for seeing groups start, um, there's some things that God could do that we will never be able to do. And I was reminded of what we learn in training before we read the scripture that in all of the book of Acts, there's only three individual persons that are mentioned that came to know Jesus as an individual. Everybody else came to know Jesus as in an entire group or, you know, a circle of influence or family unit or household. And so pressing into this, I think is so important for us to recognize that we don't want to discount the fact that God can change an individual, but God also, and biblically wants to change entire groups simultaneously. So we're going to press into that today and really ask ourselves, what would it take to see groups start? So Acts chapter 10, verse 24 says, the following day he arrived in Caesarea, Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. And Cornelius replied, four days ago, I was praying in my house about the same time, three o'clock in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. So this is an amazing story. Joe, when you're hearing it read and knowing the times that you've 
looked at this passage of scripture, like what's a couple of things that just right off the bat jumps out to you? Well, first, how cool is it that they're each having different visions that he gave it to, to uh, Peter and that he gave it to Cornelius. And there's just such a God thing. And, and that's, that's even before the full understanding of discipleship, this idea of God preparing someone and, and laying it all out there. It's just so cool. I don't know about you, but it's just kind of like, a, yeah, I'm, I'm God and I'm going to set this up. And Peter, you're going to have this vision over here and I'm going to give it to Cornelius. And then we're just going to all make it work out. Someone's going to show up at your door and, uh, you know, call you over here. And this person's expecting you. And I just think that's the coolest thing that yes. just the way God orchestrates stuff. Yeah. And I think going back to, you know, we just talked about going out among the lost and finding a person of peace. If you missed that week of the podcast, go back and listen to that. But Cornelius is the person of peace in the story. And I think it's a great reminder that a person of peace has already been prepared by God in multiple areas of their life. Um, Cornelius was already praying. He was already serving the poor. And obviously there was a work that was being done in his heart before these two visions came to pass. And that's just a reminder to me that God's already gone before us. Like he's already faithful. He already knows what it's going to take to reach us and our entire families, household circles of influence. So that just jumped out to me as well. Um, oh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that here's the other thing as I look at it now, the things that jump out to me is him wanting to exalt Peter and mm. this place that we've kind of put certain pastors in, in certain places of this, like, okay, you know, that, that, that Peter then becomes the leader of this church that Cornelius kind of almost starts as like a Cornelius is, um, you know, well, the background, as we see, they often try to worship Paul or, or Barnabas in certain places. So maybe there was a little bit of that, but this idea that like, oh, Peter, the guru's shown up, like, you know, type of thing. And Peter's yes. like, no, no, no. And the second thing is, is tradition that Peter had to break. God had to show him in that vision of like, no, you can actually do this. And when we're talking about group start, we're going to talk a little bit about those things of like dis difference between a group and a church, a discovery group and a church, and just some of the things that we know we've encountered. Maybe we've thought ourselves when in entering into those things of like, we have to break a few traditions and Peter's, you know, saying that, you know, I'm not even supposed to come in here. Um, so that, those are two things as, as we look into the, to the discipleship making kind of universe that now stand out. Ah, I love it. Joe, take us into this next part. Cause I think the next part really brings the story together because we see how the power of God does the parts that we can't do. Um, we already see that in the way that God brings the vision into two different, um, lives, but can you pick up and, and take us through the rest of the story? Yes. Yeah, so when we pick up here in verse 44, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. Mm. This is powerful because I think we're getting an entire glimpse into what it takes to see a group start. And so like, when you break this down, we threw some, a few questions in here. And the first question is like, what's the difference between a discovery group and a church? 
And I think you can see some evidence in this passage of scripture of what it would take to become a church. So what, what would you say is the difference between a discovery group and a church? Well, we see this group gathered around. They seem to have been obedient because God said, hey, your, your, um, your gift has been known, your giftings to the poor, the things that you've done. So they've obviously heard something about God, about Jesus, despite where they were. So it was like one of those things where they were doing something, but they weren't having any sort of understanding of what it really kind of meant. So they, as we mentioned before, they were drawn in. So they were a group, his servants, his, his family and friends. It was a large, it was a, you know, it was a large gathering of people that kind of came together. So I don't know what, how, about the, what that was, but they were, they were there being in some way obedient. Your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God and they, and they wanted to do something, but yet they didn't know the full extent. And so here comes Peter to come in. So they started as this, what we would call a discovery group. They probably got some sort of information about what was God was like, what Jesus was like, and we're trying to be obedient. And now comes Peter and kind of fills in the puzzle a little bit, but again, tries not to take over the, the group. He's sharing, and then he sees the, the Holy Spirit and the baptism. Now, once they've been baptized in both the Holy Spirit and in a traditional you know, water baptism, now they have a, a full understanding, a full commitment to Jesus. I believe that at that point they've become a church there, and they're probably going to continue to meet. And now they have a, they had Peter stay with them, and we'll get into that in a little bit, you know, for a few days. But I'm sure giving them the basics of like this is what we do as a church. Some of the things Paul, well, you probably imagine some of the things Paul was writing to others. Okay, what can we do here? In and and be a part of the culture we're in, and what shouldn't we do? Some of those maybe answers. I don't know what you kind of imagine in that situation. Well, Joe, so you mean to tell me that it's possible to go from a discovery group into a church in one day? Does it always work like that? <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know about you, but everything you know, it's it, it is the most amazing thing we've seen, the amazing example. But I I think a lot of us, if you're new to the DMM world, the struggle is is that group. I mean, most of the groups, let's just face it, fizzle out. They don't ever become a mm. church. There are people that want to discover God's word, but when we go back to the four soils something gets in the way or whatever it is, they just stay a discovery group for a long time and then maybe never take that next step to actually being baptized. And so that's why we like to see lots of groups start. I, I have had ones where I'm like, oh, this is great, right? This person is, um, they're loving the one-on-one the -on -one discovery study. They say they're going to gather some people, but then it just, it just never takes off. And that happens a lot yeah. of times. Well, and- you know, we often like to share at least one relevant story that we're experiencing that matches us. And here's the story that comes to my, to my mind. You know, I got to be recently a part of a discovery group that was reading a Bible story and then asking themselves, what does this teach us about God? What does it teach us about people? And what are we going to do in response to this passage of scripture? And most of the people in this discovery group were pre-believers. And they decided as a group, we should do for our neighbors what you guys did for us when you met us. And what were we doing? We were out encouraging people, praying for people, and asking if they needed God to do a miracle in their life. So pre-believers were, were reading a scripture and determining together without anything other than scripture and obedience to scripture, that what they were going to do in response to the passage that they were reading was they were going to go out and encourage their neighbors and pray for miracles in their life in the name of Jesus as pre-believers. 
And I was sitting there thinking to myself, and if you get offended by this, then you shouldn't. Okay. I was thinking to myself, wow, they're being more obedient than most of the people who attend church across America based on simple obedience to scripture. And to me, it's, it wasn't a stretch for me to think, man, is it possible for this group of people to believe and be baptized and become a church knowing that they were already taking steps of obedience that in many ways would far outrun what the typical Western American Christian would do. That's challenging. It is. <laughs> and it also gets into that place. Where you talk about offense here it is. And some of the things we run into, well, is this really a, you know, a proper church or, you know, what is a discovery group or what are these discovery groups? And I always thought about like, okay, here, it, Peter's running into a group that's already started, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's what we love, right? We're praying, for, we're praying for for Cornelius's, but sometimes we're helping someone form a group and get to that stage, and that's where you kind of we get back to Peter coming in. Is this is Peter? He stays with him a few days, but that's kind of that's it. Like you, you, you got to be a part of this discovery group, but if it became, well, Brent's our pastor now, and you keep going to this apartment complex, and it's like you're always leading the group. Are they going to be able to go out and do those things that they need to do and be obedient, or are they going to look to you? And I think we see it right away, as I mentioned in the scripture, and then we see Peter stay with them a few days, enjoying their company, doing as you're doing. We get to interact and do those sorts of things. And then, as we know, because Peter's going other places, he did not stay there. This is the last we hear of this group that started, and then a church is, is birthed. Yeah, and I think it's important for us to recognize that you know, if we lead a group with an insider, a person of peace, and in their circle of influence to model it once or twice, that's one thing. But if you get into to leading it three, four, five, six times, eventually they're just going to look at you and they're going to say, I can't do what you do. So you keep doing it. And if you keep doing it, your margin's gone. So it's not going to multiply because it's dependent upon you. And I think that when we think that we have to lead it, we don't really believe in the power of scripture, the power of scripture to speak, the power of scripture uh, to be the living active words of God and the power of scripture to protect itself. And, and I think it's really important. And one of the things that I've learned is, is that even within the second or third week of a discovery group to even say then, Hey, why don't you, the person of peace, the insider, why don't you take questions one, two, and three? And I'll take questions four, five, and six. This is like week two. And then the next week, like, hey, that was great. You did an amazing job of facilitating these questions. Why don't next week on week three, you take all the questions and I'll just be here to help so that they recognize early on, this is not dependent upon me. This is simply dependent upon the faithfulness and the goodness of God and the fact that the word of God is true and it is powerful and it's living and it's active and it can protect itself. And I think that's an important part of recognizing, no, we should not always lead a discovery group because if we're leading it, we're not going to help people discover it for themselves. The other thing I find interesting too is, and this kind of jumped out to me as we're going through it. Uh, don't you find it interesting that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit before he did any sort of water baptism? I always mm-hmm. thinking, you know, here's God kind of saying, Peter, you thought your mind was blown that you're going to be going into a Gentile household, but the Holy Spirit's going to baptize him before 
you know, you baptize them, if you, if you will. Yeah. And I thought that's another moment where you're just kind of like, oh, did, did I read the order of that? And like, because Peter's telling them, hey, because he's thinking I'm going to get in trouble. Again, right. We're running into this again. Who can baptize? These are all questions we've kind of gone when we move away from Western into more of a discipleship kind of ideas, like who has the power to baptize? And here's Peter going, I could get in trouble. But he, then he goes, well, how can I? Look at they. Who can say this? Because they've already been baptized in the Holy Spirit. God's already done this. Yes. And, you know, we, we shouldn't overlook in this story the fact that Peter was taking bold risks and going against what everybody believed at that time. But he trusted in what he's learning from God. He's trusting in the vision that's being instilled in him, and he's being obedient to it. To it. And God's then faithful to to show his glory to many witnesses so that he's he's backed up and saying, hey, like, how can we deny what's happening right in front of our very eyes? And I think that we have to trust in the faithfulness of God. But it's a challenge to me to say, hey, what are some things in my life that I'm holding on to for dear life, thinking that this is the way? And God's like, um, actually, my kingdom is a lot bigger than that. And my ways are higher than your ways. So like, why don't you press into what I want to do and get in step with the spirit? I mean, have you ever had a time in your life, Joe, where you're like not in step with the spirit? And then the Lord's like, why don't you get in step with the spirit? What's the, I mean, what, what, what has that journey been like for you? Uh, getting punched in the side of the head. No, <laughs> a, a spiritual one. Yeah. Just through this whole journey, there's the times because I go back to the very beginning where I thought, well, but yeah, but there's scripture about the blind leading the blind and like groups. And I'm like, and then it, we're so used to the groups we've been in or the ones, the typical ones where one person takes over, right? And they're doing all the sharing and we have this vision of what it's looked like before. And we refuse to let God show us of like what he can do. And I think this is a great example of re reimagining the script or not reimagining, but looking at this scripture deeper and going, Oh, my picture of how it could look or how a discovery group could go to becoming a church and those things. And it's just was so small in mm. compar comparison to what God sees. And my vision is so limited in comparison to him and yeah. just being checked on it daily. And I think back to that first time I told you I did the first ever discovery study in a prison and said, yeah, I would rather do that than a lot of the other ones I've been to. And it's like, I was like, I would, I should have just gotten out of the way in so much of it. Cause you're like, so amped up. What is this going to be like? How much am I going to have to do? And you're like, I think I could have just stepped out of the way after question one and, and they would have been better at it than I am. Right. So I got a question for you, Joe. Like when you went in the first time to a prison to share this idea and had this hope, I think at that point that they would actually engage in a discovery study, what did you believe was true that actually wasn't true? that I was going to have to prompt them to share. I was like, okay, they'll like the questions. Um, but questions seven and we get six and seven or seven or eight, whatever list you're going off of, of like, I will, and who I might be able to share this with. There is struggle for me and myself. Sometimes or even went back to the beginning and the, 
and even in other groups. So I'm like, they'll probably still struggle with that one. <laughs> it was just like, nope. You know, my sister, um, I was just talking to her. She needs to hear this. And then this other one, one of my favorite ones was someone was like, this exact scripture, I was supposed to share this with my daughter and I didn't yet. And so I think I need to do that. And like that mm. think was like, no, God's telling me he's actually, you know, it was a kind of one of those Cornelius kind of moments where it's like God had already prepared that. And it was one I added in. I'm like, we're going to do two parts because we're going to look at this in terms of discipleship, these two scriptures. And so anyway, it was just kind of funny because I thought they'll probably just like a lot of people struggle with this one. And it was just like, yes. no, they're better at it than you are, Joe. So just <laughs> sit back and, and let them do their thing. It was hard too, because I had to, I had to, didn't get a chance to communicate with a lot of them until the next time. And they were honest, like, nope, I did do that. Or no, I said I was going to do that. And I didn't, I didn't mm. do it. And you thought there would be like some you know, some covering up, well, but it doesn't really fit what I was doing or this or that. There was nothing. There was just like, yeah, I did it or no, I didn't. Yeah. I think the thing that I'll add to that is that, you know, if you would have told me two years ago that I would go out and invite a person who is not a believer to discover God's word and to be the facilitator of that group, I would have told you that you're crazy. That's not how it works. But now, two years into this, the thing that I believe is true that's not true is, is that God has already prepared people for this very reason. And sometimes it, all it takes is an invitation for somebody to discover God's word. And don't assume that they can't lead it or facilitate seven simple questions and discover it simultaneous to the other people in their household, circle of influence, family, workplace, whatever it might be. Because the simplicity of this is that the word of God does the work. The Holy Spirit does the work. We are just as a vessel to give an invitation. And I, and I think if there was a challenge that I, was, that I would give this week, don't underestimate the power of a simple invitation. Yeah, I like that. And I was thinking along those you know, lines in the, in the challenge of where I've been is this idea of um, – that this group can do this, like you were saying with with each question, but also that there's that's why we have these other sales because out of the we think like this group's got to start, the church's got to, we got to get like seven steps in there. When it's like it's okay if the group fizzles, God's going to take over, and if it doesn't, and you find a, a emerging leader within there. That's why we have these other sales of ongoing coaching. It's not as if like, you know, we get these leaders and then it's like, bye, see you later. I mean, in, in the old Testament, that's kind of, there was some of that obviously, but that's why they wanted to multiply leaders quickly is because it's like, then they can coach each other or then we can, now we have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of technology that we can continue to coach. There might be questions that come up about, okay, now that we want to form a church or, so these are all things as you go along that that's why some of these other sales we've talked about kind of come together is this idea of like, you know, see you later. I'm never going to hear from this person again. Well, no, not really. You can continue to coach them. It's just, you're not going to be doing it for them all the time mm -hmm. as we traditionally do. And then the other one that I, and we can go into this in future ones is, do I invite them into my group or do I have them start their own group? And I was really unsure of all this. And you kind of are until you've done it for a while as you go, okay, 
do I have a thriving micro church and is this someone who fits in it? Or if I'm starting one, like in my case of like rebuilding some of the micro churches in our area, including my own, it's kind of like, well, is this person in my neighborhood? Where are they at? What is God saying? Most importantly, right? Yeah. Whether they fit in. Or is this someone that's like, hey, no, this is going to be better served if I challenge them where they're at to start a group? Because if they come into mind, it it, it could just – it wouldn't be good for them. And I think mm-hmm. really being in tune to that as the Holy Spirit is kind of like, are they ready almost to join a microchurch or do they need to start a discovery group of their own? And we can't yeah. answer that for anyone in unless it's a certain situation. And even then, we'd go, well, what is God saying? <laughs> yes. And I think a great question to ask is, are we plucking them out of their circle of influence and trying to place them in our group? And if we're ever taking somebody away from the people that, that God could use them to impact, that's something we've got to consider, you know, in a deep way, because I think there's a reason that you go through the book of Acts and entire households were transformed simultaneously. And, uh, in those cases, that's where I think we can step into a deeper coaching role and, uh, and coach through the insider instead of inviting the insider to join us, because I think God cares deeply about their circle of influence and wants to see them all come to know Jesus simultaneously. So what are some challenges that we can give people for this week? Well, the first one is, do you know someone that can start a group? If you're in just starting out in discipleship, is there someone that you... God has been prompting you to do maybe a one-on-one discovery with them and challenge them. Or if you've stumbled upon this, you're in traditional church, you want more discipleship. Is there someone that instead of inviting them to your traditional service to that you think, hey, what if I went to there or I met them outside of the church? Let's go to coffee instead and do try to do a discovery study. Maybe it's the first time for you or maybe do it together with them. Is there someone that you think, yeah, I can't get them to get into a pew, but I could maybe get them to do this discovery study with me and then let God see what he does with it in starting a group, but encourage them. Hey, now we've done this together. Who is your household? Who's your Cornelius household, if you will, that might be able to come and, and do a discovery study with you. And that's the first one. The second one though, is if you've had a group that's going for a while, have you got to the place where the leader, the person you're doing ongoing coaching with that you challenge them do this? Do they need to graduate from being a discovery group? Are they ready for baptism? And again, mm-hmm. if it happens in one day, that's great. Like it happens there, but most often we see it comes with a challenge of like taking them through. We have it on our website, sent to share. You can there's a there's um, what is a church? There's there's scriptures that go with it, and leading them to baptism. But that's one to to get them from a group to baptism and being a micro church is an important step to look at when it comes to seeing groups start. Yeah. And the last thing I'll add is that when you're having that conversation about moving them forward from discovery to becoming a church, don't shy away from the power of God to prepare them and to lead them into that. Because I think we make a lot of assumptions. Oh, they're not ready. If I have this conversation, I'm going to push them away. If they're a person of peace and if they're truly discovering, which a mark of a person of peace is somebody who is obedient and somebody who shares, they're going to want to take next steps because that's, that's what God's already prepared them to do. So don't shy away from having conversations about baptism. Don't shy away from having conversations about them becoming a church and trust that what God, what God has already started. I mean, there is a scripture around this. He's faithful to complete it. 
<laughs> Generally is just, just a general <laughs> rule. That's all over scripture. No, that's great. So those are the challenges. And this wraps up our uh, seven sales series specifically on them. These are all just kind of our beginning, our intro to them. For some of you, it may be a review. And we're just going to continue to come back to them through stories. We try to share a few stories in this, but we want to set a foundation for the seven sales or seven spiritual disciplines, whatever you'd like to call them. But we're going to come back to them. That's what we do. We come back and we're going to bring in stories and hopefully bring in stories other than the two of us uh, that uh, that we'll be able to share with you and share their experiences. So uh, yeah, hopefully this was enlightening. We know there's lots of questions. Don't feel free to share them. And we'll continue to have this discussion as we go along and have stories and examples because everything changes. Something new may happen uh, in starting a group or a new challenge. And we love to hear it or new success. We love to hear those as well. Yes. Can't wait for next week and to keep living this out. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Sent to Share podcast. Our goal is to encourage you to live a Sent to Share life with an aim to make disciples who make disciples where simple churches emerge. If you have questions about what it means to be sent to share, making disciples who make disciples that lead to movement and the birth of a collective of simple churches in your city, we would love to connect with you. You can find out more at senttoshare.com.